Hey, if you have your Bibles, uh, let's go ahead, open them up. We're going two places. Uh, we're going to go Luke chapter 1, and then we're going to be Ephesians 2. Uh, these, these past few weeks, that, that song, um, Chris was very kind to say, hey, we've kind of worked this into the series. Really, I just said, hey, we have to do that song again uh, next week, because I, I love it. I love um, being able to declare the worth of Christ and, and what we just had the opportunity. What, not the opportunity, what we, the privilege we just had uh, to sing, Oh Hell King Jesus, will come in, hopefully will come into a better focus uh, this morning as we get to, to walk through this. So, so these past few weeks, we've been working on, on having a worship-filled focus during uh, the Christmas season. And, and I said this a couple weeks ago, that I love the months of November and December uh, because, uh, especially for gospel believers, because what it does is it connects our earthly celebrations with our heavenly ones. Uh, as we walk in through the Thanksgiving season, our, our hearts, um, Thanksgiving, it should draw our hearts to thankfulness towards God for what He's done in our lives um, way before it draws our stomachs to the dinner table, okay? Uh, and and that, that when we talk about Christmas, it, it should, okay, I'm not saying it always does, but, but it should draw our hearts to the celebration toward God uh, much more than it draws our hands to unwrapping presents or, or giving gifts if you're one of those weird people and you're like, I love to give, brother, and receive. I'm like, I don't get that. I'd rather you just give me stuff then. Um, and, and so, so for this reason, what we've tried to do during these weeks is, is come in uh, and, and acknowledge that the Christmas season can be a lot of different things for a lot of different people. Uh, that that it, it can be hectic, uh, it, it can be challenging for some, it can be difficult for others, it can be celebratory, it can be joyful. Uh, but, but for those found in Christ, this season uh, is, is very specific um, should very specifically stir our hearts when it comes to praise and when it comes to worship, that, that we get to celebrate Emmanuel, uh, that God is literally with us, that, that God loves us so much that He broke through and He delivers on one of His major promises and that He will send us a Savior. And... And so we've been exploring the celebratory truth uh, through the lens of really two places in the Bible. This is your first time here in a couple of weeks. This is, this is where we've been going. We've, we've looked at a scene in either Matthew and Luke, uh, and then uh, we've, we've paid attention to the foretelling of what Jesus is going to do. Uh, and then secondly, we've looked at Ephesians 2, where, where I believe it's one of my favorite chapters in all of the Bible because it tells our story very clearly. Uh, it paints a picture of, hey, your issue, your biggest issue in life isn't that you're a good person or a bad person, it's that you're a dead person, not an alive one. Uh, and so we get to walk through this understanding that, that out of God's great love for us, He brings us back to life uh, in Christ. And, and so, so where that plays itself out, what, what I hope we would understand uh, is partnered with Christmas is that Jesus changes everything. And so when we get to the Gospels in the early parts and they talk about baby Jesus, that what He is bringing into our lives is so much deeper and richer than just, hey, 
um, Jesus was a baby that was born to be my Savior. Uh, that, that it is true and that it is life-changing and it leaks into our lives. And so, so what we've been trying to do is explore a question. And it's simply this, why does Jesus come? Right? There are a lot of reasons. And so, so what we've tried to do these three weeks is answer three different ways why Jesus has come. And, and that, that first what we explored was that, that He comes to save His people from their sins. He comes to save His people from their sins. That, that doesn't get mixed. Uh, missed in the commotion of the season, uh, that Jesus' chief aim is that he would glorify God by saving his people from their sins. And then last week we came in and we said, okay, what's another reason? Well, he came in to be our peace. Not only does he give us peace, he makes peace. He is our peace. Not only between each other in the sense that we are called to love one another, uh, but that, that He serves as our peace between us and God. Again, issue being our sin. And so this morning, uh, we're going to add a, a third and a final point before moving on to next week's Merge Family uh, Christmas celebration. Uh, what we're going to do, we're going to look at an incredible truth regarding how Jesus serves, but also how He reigns. Uh, and, and why those two things are great in so many different ways. So, so let's pray, and then we'll, we'll jump in Luke chapter 1. Father, we thank you this morning for your word. We thank you for the, the, the privilege of getting to sing praises to you. I pray you would, you would stir our hearts in those moments, that we would, we would understand the gravity of what it took for you to give us that access. And so we pray this morning as we open your word that we would be very mindful of your love for us. That as we get to see the kingship of our Lord, that, that we would be able to celebrate in healthy ways. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, Amen. Alright, so Luke chapter 1. Let's go. Uh, verse 26, I think we're starting with. Alright, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel, so the angel who? Alright, just making sure you're listening. Uh, was sent from God to, his city of, to the city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, uh, and the virgin's name was Mary. Okay, so we, we're like, I've heard this before, right? There's nothing new you're bringing to the table. Everybody who has ever been around Azel, Texas, knows this part of the story, right? Uh, that, that we know the peculiar events that took place. But, but here's what we need to know, that, that verse 26 does a little bit more than just give us a geography lesson. Uh, as, as Jesus arrives on the scene, uh, first of all, he doesn't arrive as a new character. We said this last couple of weeks. Uh, he, he's not a new character that uh, is being introduced into this story. He has always been promised. Uh, he is always on the scene. Uh, and God said very specifically that he would come, that he would be a Nazarene, and he would come from the region of Galilee. Okay, so this is the fulfillment of the promises of God. If you can't trust God to be true, then you can't trust God at all. Okay, and so, so the people of Judah, here's what you need to know, that the people of Judah don't like the Galileans. They kind of thought of them like hillbillies, uh, didn't enjoy them because they involved, they interacted with the, um, uh, the, the Gentiles, uh, which would have been kind of like us, 
Uh, in fact, there was such disdain. Uh, there's this moment in John chapter 1, and I love it. I love it because uh, Jesus has started to call His disciples to Him, and I love the invitation. He just walks in and He says, Hey, follow me. And it's this invitation just to walk with Him, just to go where He goes, just to see what He does. And before long, the disciples are starting to find their friends to say, Hey, you need to, you need to come see this guy. We've found the Messiah. And Philip, who is one of his disciples, goes to another, his friend named Nathaniel, uh, and says, hey, we found the Christ. And, and Nathaniel says, has anything good ever come out of Nazarene? Ever. And what's remarkable is that within about 26, not 26 verses, but within about 26 words of the relationship that Jesus has with Nathaniel, Nathaniel's saying, you're the Christ. You're the Messiah. And so, so when we get to read this, we, we can make fun of uh, Randy's here, right? Yeah, we can't spring down, right? Uh, it's, it's, the way, it's the way we think of that town, right? Um, in the name of Jesus, they just need them. Uh, and so, so, so God in His grace has chosen a girl from Nazareth in the region of Galilee to bring forth the Messiah. Okay, and it, just, it shows that He is the God of impossibilities. Because even the people in that area would say nothing good comes out of this, let alone the Savior of the world. And, and so, so now as we, we talk about Mary, we, we have to find, um, not a fine line, but we have to, we have to find a line, I should say, um, because typically people will want to elevate Mary uh, to such a high importance that she almost overshadows Jesus. Uh, or uh, we will want to minimize Mary as being very insignificant, that she's just a a lady who gave birth to a baby. Uh, and if you have ever been a lady who's given birth to a baby, props to you, all right? Uh, we're very proud of that effort. Couldn't do it. Just pillow over my head, done. Um, and so, so what we need to do is, is find this line where we don't idolize her, but yet we don't ignore her um, because she has an incredible role. And this is what we've said each week, that when it, came, when it came to Joseph, when it came to shepherds, and now when it comes to Mary, she is a person who by and large is very average until the story of God is introduced into her life. And then all of a sudden she becomes something very significant. What she does is something very significant. And, that, and I say that because that's our story. Um, because apart from Christ, we really aren't much of anything. Uh, but when he, when he is introduced into our lives, things change as, as well they should. And so, so as we do that, let's Let's understand that um, we, we don't want to put Mary center stage just be, in the same ways we don't want to put ourselves center stage. That if you are found in Christ, you always take the back seat. He is always elevated to that place of prominence and importance. And so, so here we go. Let's, uh, verse number 28. Uh, and he, being Gabriel, said to her, being Mary, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at this saying, and, and she tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And I, I love this verse because uh, I see this look frequently in the eyes of my children. Um, I, I know I might give you the appearance that I'm all business all the time, um, but I am very much not. And, and so there are times in our relationship with my kids that I will give them genuinely good news and they don't know how to take that. Like they're like, ah, I heard you say something good. But what's the punchline, or what's what? What are you about to say? And I like I like them living in that limbo. Um, 
I do. I think it's a good parenting technique just to keep them on their toes. Like, hey, I don't know. This, this could be the greatest day of my life, or I might just want to kill my father. I don't, I don't really know. Um, and, and so, so <laughs> Gabriel speaks to Mary, and she looks at him like, I, I have heard you say, greetings, O favored one, but I, I don't know. I, I don't know. So we continue in verse 30. And the angel said to her, don't be afraid. Okay, again, that takes us back to there's a, there's a good chance that these angels aren't like Clarence from The Wonderful Life, right? They're not precious moment figurines. These are, these are people to be dealt with because a common reaction to when angels show up is people are fearful. So he says, Don't be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and you will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus. Okay, so so you, again, you don't have to spend much time in the church to know this part of the Christmas story. Gabriel tells Mary something that is impossible according to human standards, and in faith we believe that that not only with God is this possible, but it's it's true. That that we've read about these the virgin birth these past few weeks, and and we rarely build walls up against that, right? Uh, we rarely do. And in fact, the church even states it in the Apostles' Creed. You know, we believe in the virgin birth. And, and, and I say that not to cast doubt on the virgin birth because I, I firmly believe it to be true only because God said it was going to happen that way. Uh, I believe God to be truthful. Um, but, but, but I mention that because as I, as I say, hey, we don't build walls up against that. We, we believe in verses 30 and 31 that those are true. I mention that to say, if we believe verses 30 and 31 are true, then we also need to believe verses 32 and 33 are equally true. Okay? And you're like, well, where are we go- what does 32 and 33 say? I'll decide if I believe that's true or not. We don't get that luxury. All right? And so, so here's, here's what's said. And here's what we hold close to our hearts. That He, talking about Jesus, will be great. And he will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. Okay? For how long? Forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. Okay? There will be no end. So so Gabriel's referring to this promise that God has in a covenant that God made uh, with, with David, King David, Way back in Second Samuel chapter seven, he says, "You will always have a king on the throne of Judah. Uh, you will always have one." This is one of those promises. And then Gabriel's also referring to these kingdom promises uh, that God has made with the people of Israel. Uh, in fact, it's it's just listed all throughout the Bible. But if you're looking for some specific places, uh, you can go to the book of Isaiah, uh, and you'll see in chapter nine, chapter eleven, chapter twelve, chapter sixty-one, chapter sixty-six. Uh, you can spend some time in Jeremiah 33. Um, all of these chapters talk to us about God's promise to send a Savior and a King to us. And, and so, uh, so, so let's go ahead and answer that question. Why does Jesus come? That number one, to save His people from their sins. Number two, to be our peace. But then number three, and importantly number three, to be our forever King. To be our forever king. Now, you know, Jesus is enthroned in heaven in this moment and his return will bring fulfillment of these promises. 
And I think sometimes, though, I, I wonder if we have a healthy view of what his kingship uh, looks like and, and really what his kingship is, that, that even his reign in our lives today. I wonder this because I see so many of us walking around not understanding our identity being found in Christ. That we have no, we can know from a head knowledge, but in a heart and a living our lives knowledge, we don't understand how He is King and Lord over us and what He does there. And, uh, and, and really, we, we don't see, people like this, they don't see themselves changed. And as a result, they, they consistently become frustrated with the temptations and, and the circumstances of life, not realizing that, A, you're not powerless, uh, that, that you are equipped um, to fight, you are equipped to stand, and you are able to flourish in the kingdom of God, which Jesus says is at hand, is all around us. And so, and, and now I'm not saying that's entirely your fault. Um, it's partly probably your fault. Uh, but, but I think we've done a poor job. Uh, I, I think we, we have a hard time in our society reconciling uh, the difference because we, we think of democracies and not kingdoms. Uh, we, uh, and if Rocky Force taught us anything, right, that, that democracy should always win. Right? Every, every chance you get, you should just punch them in the face. Um, and so, so when we think of kings and we think of kingdoms, we, we think of it uh, as, as, a, as a primitive form of government, uh, that, that, that democracies are, are more advanced because clearly we are a more civilized people than those who came before us. And, uh, and we think democracy more suitable in our modern world. And, uh, and I, agree, I agree with that argument to, to a lot of extent. Um, but, but I really think the issue is that uh, we've never seen leadership carried out to perfection. And that causes a problem for us. Because it causes a, a trust issue. And, and with the exception of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, we can't see perfection played out. And, and so, so my argument for democracy over kingship is that, that the only kings available to us are finite, um, very susceptible to sin and corruption and ruling with power. And, and we've, we've heard those stories. We've seen those stories played out. And, and so uh, I, I tend to agree. C.S. Lewis wrote um, a book, and it's, it's called Present Concerns. And, uh, and if for any other reason, go, go search it up, read it. Um, for this chapter on chivalry that I found myself reading this week. It was fascinating. Uh, but he is talking about democracy. And, and I agree with what he says uh, largely. He says things like this. A, a great deal of democratic enthusiasm descends from the ideas of people like Rousseau. And everybody's like, oh, that Rousseau, he's a crazy guy. Um, who believed in democracy because they thought mankind so wise and so good that everyone deserved a share in the government. He says, the danger of defending democracy on those grounds is that they're not true. He says, I find that not true without looking any further than myself. I don't deserve a share in governing a hen roost, much less a nation. He says, the real reason for democracy is mankind is so fallen that no man can be trusted with unchecked power over his fellows. Aristotle, Aristotle said uh, that some people are only fit to be slaves. I do not contradict him, but I reject slavery because I see no men fit to be masters. And then he says this, uh, if, there, if there could be a king 
who is not limited in his wisdom and power and goodness and love for his subject, then monarchy would be the best of all governments. If such a ruler could ever rise in the world with no weakness, no folly, no sin, then no wise and humble person would ever want democracy again. And I think that there are many of us here who have an easier time believing that Jesus can be born from a virgin mother than we can believe He can be a perfect King. That, that we can believe that He reigns over the kingdoms of our lives and He not only provides salvation, but He provides our protection and our provision and our purpose forever. Forever. We have, we have an easier time understanding the impossibility of a woman giving, conceiving a child without relations. And yet we, we struggle with this other part that, that He is in control over all of our lives. And I think the proof of that is in the steps of our lives. The, the things our hands hold on to, the treasures we have in our hearts. And, and I don't want us to be trapped underneath this weight. Uh, I long for us to see very clearly how Jesus changes everything, and He reigns as a king, regardless if you endorse that or not. Okay? Regardless if you're like, yeah, you're right. I guess we'll let Him be king today. Uh, regardless, he, he serves in that capacity. And so, so for that, let's, let's go Ephesians chapter 2 real quick. Ephesians 2. So we've walked through uh, 17 verses so far, right? We actually ended at 18 last week, but we're going to start there again this week. Uh, and so let's remember that story, right? You were dead... You were without hope. You were separated from God. And but God, out of His great love for you, sends Jesus to be your Redeemer. And so this is where we pick it up. And, and ver- not only does He rescue you, but He seats you with Him. He reinstates your life and He gives you this purpose. And so here we go, verse 18. For through Him, being Jesus, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. Okay, so again, we ended here last week, but we didn't give this proper attention because we were going to be here this morning. That through Jesus, we have access both corporately and privately to God the Father. We've been talking about this for a few weeks now. Our sin carries a death sentence, creates this separation between us and God. It blocks our access because holiness and sinfulness, they don't coexist. They don't. They're not friendly. And so, so, so we don't leave this verse ever. Like there will never be a moment in your life that you say, I don't need verse 18 anymore. You don't tear it out of your Bible. You don't sharpie it out and say that, that no longer applies to me. We never leave this. Because it's, it's bringing us freedom. It's bringing us joy. That, that through Jesus we have access to the Father. In fact, it, it should stir us and it should motivate us toward a holiness expressed in thanksgiving. It's one of, one of my favorite songs uh, in the Christmas season. His grandma got ran over. No, I'm joking. Not that one. Um, it's a song called Oh Holy Night. I love it. I love it. I can't sing it very well. Um, but, but there's this one line that gets me every time. And it says, Long lay the world in sin an error pining until He appeared. Okay? Until He appeared and the soul 
felt its worth. Just every day I go, I'm done. Done. Like, that's why I can't sing the song. Because once I get, and that's like verse 1. And I'm like, oh God, that's me. Till he appeared in the soul, felt its worth. Christ appeared. And we realized our sinfulness in his holiness. And that's, that's a hard realization. It is, but it is so freeing when you realize you don't have to be stuck. You don't have to be trapped in your sinfulness. You don't. Jesus changes everything. And so, so verse 19, it starts off with, with two words that connect us. And again, I'm, I'm a fan of two word moments uh, in the Bible. And so, so we go to verse 19 and it says this, So then... Okay, so we're responding to the access that Jesus has created in our lives. So then you, so who? So if you are in Christ, you are no longer strangers and aliens. But you are fellow citizens with the saints. And you are members of the household of God. Underline that in your Bible. That's okay, we give you permission. You are members of the household of God. You are built on the foundation of the apostles uh, and the prophets, Christ Jesus Himself, be in the cornerstone. Okay, I don't build, but I understand the concept of the cornerstone. It is the part of the building that everything else relies on. Take off the cornerstone, everything else falls apart. Okay, so so Christ Jesus is the cornerstone. So so hear me when I say this: in Jesus, you are no longer a stranger to God. And these, these two words, so then, they take us from a life not worth living to one of great importance. That, that, and I suppose the description of the believer here can be taken as, as one of those that, that feels strange, as if we're wearing someone else's clothes, and I think that's, that's kind of the point. That, that Paul tells us that you were a stranger, you were an alien, and now in Christ you are no longer. You are a saint who operates in the household of God. And, and now, don't mistake what happens and how this happens. It happens in Christ. He's our cornerstone. Everything is held together by Him. And the result is this building of your life and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit in your body. And so here's what happens. So then, those two words, it opens the doors for worship. It does. It opens the doors for worship in case we ignored all those other two word statements we traveled to last week. Where he says things, for by, remember that, but now, for he. So then, you are not who you were because God has intervened on your behalf in Jesus and he changes everything. Changes everything. So we get to verse 21. So we're talking about Christ. In whom the whole structure being joined together grows. Okay? So, so God wants you to grow. God wants you to get stronger and healthier. So, so join together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In Jesus, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Verse 22, in Jesus, you are being renovated into a place where God dwells. You are being renovated. And now, don't, don't let that freak you out. That sounds creepy, right? Um, but it's exactly what, what happens. It's an incredible process. If, if you go back to the book of Genesis, 
uh, early on, God walked uh, with His people. And then you, you go into Exodus, and God, God makes a decision that He's going to dwell with His people. And so He tells them, hey, when you build this tabernacle, I'm, I'm going to dwell. The, my Spirit will descend into the tabernacle. This is where you will spend time with Me. This is where you will meet with Me. Uh, and yet, the Israelites, their sin causes God to depart His glory. He departs it. He takes it away. And this goes, if you, watch, if you pay attention to their stories, uh, this is a consistent theme of their lives. And then around uh, 1 Kings uh, chapter 8, we get to see God allows Solomon to build the temple. And God uh, says, I'm going to dwell in the temple. And that lasts for a little while. Uh, but Israel sins again and the glory departs in Ezekiel chapter 10. And, and I was reminded this week of this scene in, in 2 Chronicles chapter 7, where Solomon, he's, he's dedicating the temple and he prays. And, and after he prays, they, they had prepared this offering. And as he says, Amen, fire from the heavens come down and consume it. And then it says that, that the Lord filled the temple and His presence was so thick that the priest couldn't enter. And what an incredible, incredible scene that, that you would, we would show up one day here and we're out in the parking lot and you're like, why aren't y'all going in? You're like, God's there and it's too thick. It's too much. And I wonder, I wonder if that's what we expect when we get here. When we gather together, if we expect that God would already be here. I wonder if we would be aware that He is here. Or if we just kind of move in this process of our routine on Sundays. But that God showed up in such a way, they said, well, we can't, can't go in. There's no way. It's too thick in there. It's too, in, it's too filled with His glory. And so, so what happened in that scene, and I love it, because they see God move in, God move, God move, God move, and then collectively, they just start to worship, and they give thanks, and they say, for He is good, and His steadfast love, it endures forever. And I would give anything to stand outside that temple in that moment and watch the glory of God descend. Yeah, I would give anything. But, we actually have something better. Okay, you might like, I don't, that's, that's, a, that's a pretty cool scene. But we actually have something better because God doesn't just dwell in the, the temple made by man. In fact, His next dwelling place uh, came uh, through His Son. Uh, we can go to chapter, uh, John chapter 1. Right? His next dwelling place was in the body of Christ, which men took and nailed to the cross. And today, the Holy Spirit dwells in the church, the temple of God, that God is not restricted to dwell in man-made temples. Okay, so here's what, here's what that means. God is just as present in your car, in your closet, in your home, in your office, than He is in this room. Just as present. Just as present. And so, so He dwells in the hearts of those who have trusted Christ. If you're looking for a place to go there, go 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Spend some time chewing on verses 19 and 20. That in Him you are also being built together into a dwelling place by God for the Spirit. That, that we can believe this and we can walk in this or we can allow this to remain an abstract thought and continue walking in confusion. Uh, and in a less 
with less power and with less ability than we should. That, that the Spirit of God dwells in our hearts and so does His knowledge, so does His strength, so does His purpose, that we get the privilege of this being our life. And yet I wonder how many of us walk in that. I do. So we can start wrapping this up. So a few moments ago I said, I said that, that many of us have an easier time believing in the virgin birth than we do that Jesus is king over our hearts. We do. And, and, I, and I stand behind that statement because I feel that, that tension at times. I, I struggle in my own heart between what is walking in faith and what is walking in wishful thinking. Right? Have you ever, have you ever balanced that line? Uh, you're like, oh, I'm walking in faith, and really what you're doing is, oh, I got both of my fingers crossed. I, I feel that tension at times, and so, so I'm not standing before you this morning looking at you like you're someone beyond hope, because you're not. You're not. In Jesus, you are no longer a stranger to God, but even more than that, you are now included as a relational part of the family. That, that his kingship, and this is what I love, his kingship is, is not a shift uh, like, like he's working in your life on alternating Thursdays. Okay? And that's, that's how we try to treat him. Like, well, I wonder when Jesus is going to come back so I can give him all my worries again. That, that his kingship is not a shift for when you really need him to take the reins of your situations. That the promise from God is that we will have a forever king who protects, who provides, who gives us purpose. And, and if you are found in Christ in this moment, you will spend the rest of your days here and every moment in heaven secure under his care. And so we go back to Luke chapter 1, verse 22. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. So, so our king has come. That, that's the proclamation of the Christmas story. That's the proclamation. That's why we gather to celebrate Christmas. Because our king has come. He has arrived. And, and my prayer is that, that we would be, that our joy would be filled and our worship would produce a response over these next few days as we consider that we were without hope we were far from God, and we had absolutely nothing to barter with. And yet God, out of His incredible love for us, that He sends Jesus. That He cares for us in Christ. That He loves you, not only enough to save you, but to restore you and not some version of you that's just good enough to make it until the next day, right? Have you ever, you ever fixed something and you're like, well, if that can just hold three more days, we'll be in good shape, right? That's not what He does for us. He continually cares. So, so when you're broken, He mends that. And when you break again, He mends that. And then there's parts of you that He just says, I'm just going to cut that all the way off. I'm replacing it altogether. Band-Aids can't fix that, so let me just replace it. 
And so the, so the message of our lives, are we going to all hell King Jesus? I felt it. I got, we, are, we are so in tune, man. That's my best buddy right there. Um, so the message of our lives are all hell King Jesus. And I get, again, I get we don't think through kingdoms, though we should. Because consistently in the message of the Bible, we get to see God say, hey, this is a kingdom. This is a kingdom. I'm a king. We're not making any mistakes about that. I'm not sharing the throne with anyone. This is a kingdom. And for us to have the privilege to utter all hell, King Jesus. Mm. It's a privilege. It's an honor. It is. And I am so guilty of making it less than that. So guilty of allowing those distractions, especially in this time of year, to lose that focus. Our desire this week is to love God. Bye. Let me pray for you. If you need prayer this morning, we want to pray with you. There'll be some people right outside this door as we dismiss. If you've never asked Jesus into your heart, or if you think it's time for you to recommit that, we want to give you that opportunity. We want to celebrate that with you. I love you guys. Let's pray. Father, we come to you. Holding nothing in our hands of value. And we're thankful that in our weakness you make us strong. And I pray you would give us a a laser-like focus on why Jesus is so significant, not, not just in this season, but every day of our lives, that we would celebrate who we are in Him. We love you. It's in Jesus' name. And everyone said,